Now Jesus, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. You may be seated. Good morning. It's good to be together this morning. Appreciate the time that we've been able to spend in worship together. President Calvin Coolidge, whenever he was serving as president, invited some people from his hometown to come and eat dinner with him at the White House. Of course, they accepted that invitation, but they quickly realized that they weren't quite sure how to act. They weren't sure the etiquette of going to the White House and sitting down and eating a meal with the president. So before they got there, they decided that their best policy would be to just do what the president did. Do what Calvin Coolidge does and we're going to be okay. That was their frame of mind. So they went into the White House that night. They sat down at the table with the president. And the president ordered a small cup of coffee on a saucer. So each person, every single one of them, one by one around the table, ordered a small cup of coffee on a saucer. Then President Coolidge reached for a little bit of milk and a little bit of sugar. He added it to his coffee and stirred it up, mixed it in with a spoon. One by one, once again, they went around the table getting a little bit of coffee, getting a little bit of sugar, mixing it into their coffee. They were just sure what his next step was going to be. They were sure that the president's next step was going to be to pick up the cup, put it up to his mouth, and take a drink from it. That's what anybody would think. But that's not what he did. He took the little saucer with the cup on top of it. He sat it down next to his chair, and he called for the cat. They abandoned their policy there. They, they didn't take their glasses and, and put it down on the ground and called for the cat. Even the ones who didn't like coffee choked it down in that moment. These individuals who came to eat dinner with the president decided that their best policy was to imitate the president. In a similar way, as Christians, our best policy, in fact, our only policy is to imitate Jesus, to be like Christ. In everything that we do, every single day that we live, it should be our goal to become more like Jesus. Every single day that we live, it should be our goal to be better transformed into His image. It should be our goal to better reflect Him in the things we say, the things we do, and even in the things that we think. That's what Scripture tells us to do. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 15, Paul says that we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ. Notice that Paul doesn't say that we are to grow up to be like Jesus in some ways. He doesn't say that we are to grow up to be like Jesus in the majority of ways. He says we are to grow up to be like Jesus in every single way. Our lives should be stories of constant and consistent growth where we are constantly becoming more like our Savior. So that when people see us, they don't see us. Instead, they see our Lord Jesus. 
If that's the case, if that's true, if it is our goal to become like Jesus and to grow up into Him in every way, then there are a lot of different areas that we could explore this morning when it comes to being like Christ. This morning as we study together, I want us to think about an area that we all have experience with. This is an area in which we are to imitate Christ that we talk about a lot. You hear about it a lot in sermons. You hear a lot about it in Bible classes. Maybe even talk about it in your homes. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, it's something that we could all do a better job with. This morning, I want us to consider how we can better imitate Jesus in prayer. Let's stand beside the apostles in Luke chapter 11 and verse 1. This morning, let's make the same request that they made from our Scripture reading, Lord, teach us to pray. How can we become more like Jesus whenever it comes to prayer? How can we better model Jesus' prayer life in our prayer lives? This morning, let's consider Jesus' example Let's consider Jesus' prayer life. And as we think about His example, as we think about His prayer life, let's think about how we can become more like Him. Number one, Jesus, when we look at His prayer life, He prayed reverently. Jesus recognized who He was talking to in prayer, and as a result, prayed respectfully. If you go to what we oftentimes call the high priestly prayer of Jesus, in John the 17th chapter, he's praying just a few hours before his suffering. He's praying just a few hours the night before his crucifixion. We're going to circle back to this prayer in just a moment, but for now, I want you to notice how Jesus addresses God, how Jesus refers to God throughout this prayer. The first is in John chapter 17 and verse 11. Jesus identifies God about midway through that verse as the Holy Father. Jesus recognizes that He's praying to His Father, His Father who is holy. Jesus recognizes that God is set apart from His creation. He recognizes that Jesus, or rather God, His Father, is exalted over His creation. Jesus recognizes that there's nobody and there's nothing like God. There's nothing comparable to Him. He is in a class. He is in a league all by Himself, He recognizes God as the Holy Father. But then if you skip down just a few verses to John 17 and verse 25, He also recognizes God as the righteous Father. In God's character, in God's action, in God's nature, He is completely and perfectly righteous. God always does what is right as opposed to doing what is wrong. God always does what is righteous as opposed to doing what is wicked. As Jesus prays in John chapter 17, He recognizes who He's talking to. And because He recognizes that He's talking to the Holy and Righteous Father, He approaches Him with great reverence and respect. What about us? Whenever we pray, do we pray reverently? Do we recognize who we're talking to when we approach the throne of God in prayer? Whenever we pray, we're talking to the One who is holy. 
the one who is set apart, the one who is exalted over his creation, we're talking to the one who nobody or nothing is greater than. Whenever we talk to God in prayer, we're talking to the only one who is perfectly and completely righteous in character, in nature, and in action. Go back to how we started just a few moments ago. If you were invited to the White House to sit down and have dinner with the President, how would you talk to him? I hope that you would talk to him with great reverence and respect for the position that he holds. If we're going to have respect and reverence for the President, how much more respect, how much more reverence should we have for the Creator of the universe, the One who is holy and the One who is righteous? Number one, Jesus prayed reverently, and that's we, if we're going to follow in His example, we are going to do that as well. Number two, Jesus prayed intimately. I think those are two ideas that we need to carry in a very careful balance. Yes, Jesus prayed reverently, and He prayed respectfully, but He also prayed in a very intimate way. If we step into the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus in Mark chapter 14 and verse number 36, again, He's just a few hours from His death. This is the night before His crucifixion, and you see the prayer that He utters to God. He says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. In just a few seconds, we're going to circle back to this prayer but for now, notice how Jesus begins this prayer. What's the very first word that He uses? It's the word Abba. You know what the word Abba means? It's an Aramaic term that translates as Father, but it's a term that carries with it a great amount of intimacy. If we were to think about it in our day, I realize that this is not an exact parallel, but if we were to think about it in our day, some people would use the, term, the formal term Father, to refer to their fathers. But then others might use the more intimate, the more informal term, daddy or dad. That's the term that Jesus is using here when He uses the word Abba. It's a term that carries with it great intimacy. In fact, it carries such a high level of intimacy with it that Jews wouldn't use it to refer to God. They wouldn't use it whenever they prayed to God because they viewed it as being irreverent. They viewed it as being disrespectful. Jesus knows what He's about to go through. Jesus knows that He's about to suffer. He knows He's about to be beaten. He knows that He's about to be hung on a cross. He knows that He's about to bear the weight of the sin of the world on His shoulders. And so when He prays to God, he prays based on the personal and intimate relationship that he had with God. We see that in the term Abba. Jesus prayed intimately. What about us? Sometimes it might be tempting to put up barriers, to put up walls whenever we pray. Sometimes we might try to hide certain situations in our lives from God. We might try to hide some feelings and emotions that we have whenever we pray, as if that's even possible. As if it's even possible to hide feelings and emotions and situations from an all-knowing and omniscient God. Whenever we pray, we certainly need to be respectful. But I think sometimes we can be so stoic whenever we talk to God in prayer. 
If we're going to imitate the example of Jesus, then we are going to pray not only with great reverence and respect, but also with great intimacy. We recognize that God is not just holy, but He's the one who loves us. Not only is He righteous, but He's the one who desires us. He's the one who has pursued us. He's the one who wants us to spend time in conversation with Him. And so when we pray, following Jesus' example, we're going to pray reverently and respectfully, no doubt about it. But our prayers are also going to carry great intimacy. Number three, Jesus prayed submissively. If we step back into the garden in Mark 14 and verse 36, we see how Jesus began His prayer just a moment ago. Now notice how He ends it. He ends it with the phrase, Yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus makes His request to God. Jesus talks to God about what He wants. He says, let this cup pass from me. God, I know that all things are possible for you. And I also know what I'm about to go through. He knew the suffering and pain and difficulty that he was about to go through. He says, let's find another way. I know that this cup of suffering is sitting in front of me, God. I'm asking you, I'm begging you to remove this cup out of my path. Jesus makes his request. But He makes His request with an attitude of submission. God, this is what I want, but I realize my life is not about what I want, it's about what You want. This is the request that I'm making, yet not what I will, but what You will. Regardless of how God answered His prayer, Jesus had an attitude of submission. Jesus was willing to submit to the will of the Father in prayer. What about us? Do we pray submissively? Jesus invites us to make our request to Him. God invites us to talk to Him about what we want. If we want a situation to turn out in a certain way, we can talk to God about that. And we can make that request to Him. But when we make that request, do we carry with it an attitude of submission? God, this is what I want. And here's this situation in my life, and here's what I want the outcome to be, but God, I want you to know, I realize this, my life is not about what I want, but it's about what you want. This is the request that I'm making, God, but I recognize you're greater than I am. Your thoughts and your ways are higher than my thoughts and my ways, Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. And so I'm willing to submit to you, yet not what I will but what You will be done. Whenever we pray to God, whenever we make requests to God, we have to be willing to submit to His will over our own. We have to trust that He knows better than we do, and as a result, to pray submissively. Number four, Jesus prayed thankfully. When you go to John chapter 11 and verse number 41, Jesus is standing before the tomb of His friend Lazarus, who at this point has been dead for four days. And in John eleven forty one, 41, as they removed the stone, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he prayed, Father, I, what? Thank you that you have heard me. Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. We know how that story ends up in John chapter 11. But before anything happens, before the resurrection even takes place, as they're removing the stone from in front of the place where he was buried, Jesus says, Father, I thank You. 
I thank You for listening to me, hearing what I say. Jesus prays that out loud so that the crowd will hear it. When the crowd hears Jesus thanking God for listening to Him and granting His request, when the resurrection happens, they're going to recognize that Jesus is something special. Jesus is the one whom God has sent. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah who they have been longing for. The Messiah who they have been waiting for. But before anything even happens, God look, Jesus looks up to God and says, I thank you for listening to my request. Jesus prayed thankfully. What about us? Maybe sometimes our prayers can become a little bit unbalanced. Maybe sometimes in prayer we spend a lot of time asking for what we want. And we spend a lot of time making requests. God, here's what I want You to do. Here's what I want You to act. And there's certainly nothing wrong with that. But a question we need to think about is how much time do we spend thanking God? Thanking God for what He has done in our lives. What He is doing in our lives. And for what He ultimately promises to do in our lives. We know in James 1 and verse 17, God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. Do we ever take the time to thank Him for that? God is the one who woke you up this morning. He's the one who lifted your head up off the pillow. Did you take the time to thank Him for it? God is the one who's giving you every breath that you breathe as you inhale and exhale in this moment. Jesus, God, is the one who is sustaining your life. Do you thank Him? According to Ephesians 1 and verse 3, high above everything else, God has given to us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Do we follow in the footsteps of Jesus to pause and say, Father, I thank You. I'm grateful for everything You have done for me and what You will do for me. Number five, Jesus prayed deliberately. In other words, Jesus prayed on purpose. Can you imagine how busy Jesus was? And take a second to consider that. A 24-hour period in Jesus' life. Think about how much Jesus had to do. Think about how many people Jesus interacted with. Consider how many directions His attention would have been pulled. As you think about that, look at the words of Mark chapter 1 and verse 35. Mark tells us that rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place. And what did He do? There He prayed. In context, Jesus just had a very busy day in Mark chapter 1. He's about to enter into another very busy day in the first chapter of Mark. But notice what He made time for. Jesus could have slept in for a few more hours. Do you like to sleep in? Especially on the weekends when you have the time to do that? Maybe Jesus was tired. He had come off of the hills of a very busy day and could have spent a little bit more time in bed. Or He could have gotten up and been productive and done some things that He needed to do. What was it that Jesus needed in Mark 1? Oh, before another day began, He woke up very early in the morning while it was still dark outside. He went to a place where He was completely by Himself so that He could spend time in prayer. So that He could spend time talking to God. Jesus had a busy schedule. But He also made time for prayer. Jesus prayed deliberately. Jesus prayed on purpose. What about us? It doesn't matter who you are and it really doesn't matter what you do. Life is going to be busy. 
You're going to have a lot of things to do on a daily, a weekly, a monthly basis. I know that your life is busy, but again, the question that we have to confront is, are we making time for prayer? Are we making time to do what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6? To go into that inner room, to shut the door, and to pray to the Father who's in the secret place. And the Father who's in the secret place, when He sees us praying to Him, will reward us openly. Are we praying on purpose? Because one thing that I can tell you is that you're never going to pray on accident. Are we choosing to make time in our busy schedules for prayer? It might mean waking up a little bit earlier in the morning. It might mean going to bed a little bit later at night. It might mean skipping that next episode on TV and and turning off the TV. It might mean sitting down your phone or tablet or computer and stepping away from social media for just a little bit. Are we deliberate about spending time in prayer? Are we praying on purpose? And then hand in hand with that, when we go back to Jesus, Jesus prayed continually. In Luke 5 and verse 16, the Bible says that Jesus would withdraw to desolate places and pray. The grammar of that sentence suggests that this was a continual action. In other words, Jesus didn't just do this every once in a while. Jesus didn't just do this on special occasions or when He needed something or when He was going through something difficult. Continually, time after time and day after day, Jesus would withdraw to desolate places and spend time in prayer. There was never a season in Jesus' life where prayer was absent. There was never a day that passed where Jesus didn't spend time talking to the Father. There wasn't a day that passed where Jesus didn't spend time in conversation with the Father. What about us? Maybe sometimes our prayer lives look like a roller coaster. Some days we're really high. In some seasons, we're at a high point, we're on a mountaintop where we're praying every day, maybe praying multiple times a day, and we're enjoying that fellowship time with God. But then other seasons in our lives, we go down into the valley, we find ourselves at a low point, and we look up, it's been a week or two or three, and we haven't even prayed once. If we're going to follow the example of Jesus, we're going to pray continually. Not just when things are bad, not just whenever we want something, not just every once in a while or on special occasions, if we're going to follow the example of Jesus, then there's not going to be a season in our lives where prayer is not important to us. There's not going to be a day that goes by where we don't have conversations with God. Prayer was important to Jesus, and it should be so important to us. Number seven, Jesus prayed persistently. If we step back into the Garden of Gethsemane for just a moment with Jesus, Again, just a few hours before His crucifixion, Luke 22 and verse 44 says that being in agony, He prayed more earnestly. Like we've said, Jesus knew what He was about to go through. And it caused Him to feel inward pain. The text says that He was in agony. That's a very strong term. Jesus was agonizing over the suffering and the difficulty that He was about to go through. Yet, what did He do? As He felt agony... The text says he prayed more earnestly. He prayed persistently. In fact, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus presents the same prayer verbatim. Word for word. Not once. Not twice. But three different times. 
the example of Jesus teaches us to pray persistently. Maybe sometimes we have a one and done mentality. I'm going to ask God for this one time. I'm going to make this request one time, maybe two times. And if God doesn't respond, if I don't get what I want, I'm never going to ask for it again. It's a one and done mentality. The example of Jesus stands opposed to that. The example of Jesus invites us to be persistent in prayer. Jesus' example teaches us that it doesn't bother God to hear the same thanksgiving time after time. It doesn't make God angry. It doesn't displease God for us to present the same request to Him day after day after day. In fact, Jesus encourages us to do that. He encourages us in Luke chapter 18 and verse 1 to be people who always pray and never lose heart. Sometimes we flip-flop that, don't we? Sometimes we never pray and we always lose heart. We sometimes pray and we always lose heart. Jesus teaches us through both His teaching and His example that we are to be people who always pray and never lose heart. To pray persistently. Number eight, Jesus prayed lovingly. If we go back to that high priestly prayer of Jesus, it can be divided into three different parts. The first part, in the first five verses of John 17, Jesus prays for Himself. If you were about to go through what Jesus was about to go through in John 17, wouldn't you spend some time praying for yourself? That just makes sense. But what I want you to notice in this prayer, that is the minority. That is the shortest part, the shortest division of the prayer where he prays for himself. He continues on in chapter 17, verses 6 through 19, to pray for his apostles who are going to carry on his mission in the world. Then he prays for all believers, verses 20 through 26. He prays for us. Those who believe on Him through the Apostles' Word, that we will be one, that we will be united just as Jesus and the Father are one. If I was about to go through the suffering that Jesus was about to go through in John 17, I might spend that entire prayer talking about myself, what I'm about to go through. Jesus certainly talked about Himself. But He also used prayer as a tool to benefit others. He lovingly prayed, not just for Himself, but also for His apostles and even for us who are here today. Jesus didn't use prayer selfishly. Instead, He used prayer to benefit other people. Jesus prayed lovingly. What about us? Sometimes prayers can become selfish. You think about the prayers that you've prayed over the last little while. Do you exclusively use the words I, my, me, mine? Oh, there's nothing wrong with using those words. There's nothing wrong with praying for yourself. But if we're going to follow the example of Jesus, we're not just going to pray for ourselves, we're going to pray for other people. We're going to lovingly use prayer as a tool, not just to benefit us, but to benefit those who we know in our lives, those who are struggling, those who are going through difficulty, those who don't know the Lord. It's powerful to think about. You're approaching the throne of God. Not just presenting your name or your situation. But you're approaching the throne of God out of love in your heart to present other people's names. 
to present other people's situations. Prayer is not to be used purely for selfish reasons. Prayer is to be used as a tool, according to Jesus' example, to benefit others. Number nine, Jesus prayed preemptively. He prayed in preparation for big decisions. That's what Jesus is doing in Luke 6, 12-17. He's about to make a really big decision. Out of all of those who have decided to follow Him, Jesus is hand-selecting 12 who are going to be His apostles. 12 men who are going to follow Him wherever He goes. 12 men who He's going to train over the next three years. 12 men who are going to go out into the world after He ascends to the right hand of the Father to carry on His message and to spread His mission. What did Jesus do before He made that big decision? Luke chapter 6 and verse 12, In these days He went out to the mountain to pray. And He continued all night in prayer to God. As Jesus has a really big decision to make, He spends time in prayer. In fact, spends the entire night talking to God about that certain decision. What about us? When we have big decisions to make, where do we turn? Oftentimes, we turn to people who we trust and we spend time talking to them. Or we make a pro-con list. Have you ever done that before? Put the good things about the decision on one side, put the bad things about the decision on the other side, and weigh it out. See what seems to be the best choice. We research it. We get on the internet. We look up different books, different ideas to see, is this going to be a good decision for me? Is this going to be a good decision for my family? There's nothing wrong with those things. But when you have a big decision to make, you ever talk to God about it? Do you ever follow in the footsteps of Jesus to spend all night in prayer about that decision? It's not bad to weigh it out. It's not bad to talk to other people. But if you're not talking to God, you're missing the most important part in the decision-making process. Following in Jesus' example, we are going to pray preemptively. Number 10, Jesus prayed forgivingly. You remember Luke chapter 23 and verse 34? Jesus is looking out over a crowd that's very antagonistic. He's looking at a crowd who had put nails through his hands and feet. They've beaten him. They've spit on him. They're mocking him as he's hanging on the cross. They've scourged him. Jesus looks out over that crowd, and what does he do? He prays. What kind of prayer does he pray? Verse 34 Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. That's beautiful, isn't it? That's the heart of our Savior. Our Savior has a heart of forgiveness. He looks out at the group who literally nailed Him to the cross. Those who were mocking Him. And He doesn't just say, I forgive you. No, He takes it even to a higher level and asks God to forgive them because they're acting in ignorance. They don't really understand what they're doing. Here, Jesus practices what He preached. Back in Mark 11 and verse 25, Jesus instructs us, when you stand praying, what? Forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven may forgive you of your trespasses. Jesus prayed forgivingly. And we should follow His example in that. How hypocritical is it to approach God asking Him to forgive the wrong things that we've done if we're not willing to forgive other people for the wrong things that they have done. In fact, Jesus tells us if we're not willing to pray forgivingly, 
then God's not going to be willing to forgive us. And then finally, number 11. You ever heard an 11-point sermon before? Now you have. Point number 11, Jesus prayed faithfully. Going back to Luke chapter 23 and verse number 46, Jesus is hanging on the cross. And in this specific verse, He is breathing His very last breath. What did He do with that last breath? He prayed to God. A prayer that echoes one that David prayed back in Psalm number 32. Father, into Your hands I commit my spirit. As Jesus breathes His last breath, He prays to God saying, I'm placing my life in Your hands. God, I'm giving everything to You with everything that I have. I trust in You. Jesus prayed faithfully. What about us? The temptation is to take our lives into our own hands. I take my situations, my relationships, my responsibilities, my difficulties, my stress, and I put it right here in these hands. And I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to see that these things are taken care of. Whenever we pray, are we putting our lives in our own hands? Or are we looking at God like Jesus did and saying, I'm putting my life in your hands. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Father, I give everything over to you. I trust in you. Do you trust in God? Are you living faithfully to Him? And is that reflected in how you pray? I think it's a powerful request, don't you? A request that we've made this morning. Lord, teach us to pray. And when we look at Jesus' example, we find exactly how we are to pray. We see that Jesus prayed reverently, intimately, submissively, thankfully, deliberately, continually. He prayed persistently, lovingly, preemptively, forgivingly, and faithfully. And we have the responsibility to imitate Him, to follow in His footsteps. And so I want to challenge you this week to pray. Maybe you're at a place right now in your life where you're doing a really good job with prayer. And it's something that you're doing every day, and it's a habit that you've formed, and you're enjoying that time with God. Maybe you find yourself in a place where you haven't prayed in the last week, and you haven't paused to take time to talk to God. Wherever you might be, I want to challenge you this week, every single day, pray. Spend time with God, but that's only half of it. Don't just pray. Pray like Jesus. Go back through some of these examples that we've talked about. Read back through some of these verses and ask yourself the question, how would my life change if I learned to pray like Jesus? How would my interactions with other people, how would my post on social media change if I learned to pray like Jesus? How would my life at work, how would my life at school with my friends, how would my household change if I learned to pray like Jesus? And really, this is the question, how much deeper could I draw in relationship with God if I learned to pray like Jesus? Let's follow in His example this week. Maybe prayer is something that you need this morning. We'd love to help you with that. If you need the prayers of your brothers and sisters in Christ, we'd love to assist you. Or maybe you're at the point where you'd like to dedicate your life to Christ. 
Dedicate yourself to serving Him. We'd love to help you with that too. As together we stand and sing our invitation song.